Hey, hey security, security peeps. peeps. <laughs> it's Seso Thursdays. I'm filling in for Renee, Naomi. We're on Renee's page, which feels really weird. We're on the Breaking into Cyber uh, Security YouTube page, and we're live for everyone tuning in. Hello. Welcome to the show, which is very unique because the original hosts are busy and the guests are running the show today. Yeah. They let Naomi, us run the show, doing? I guess. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> trusting us with the keys to the kingdom. I am impressed of their level of trust. So, yes, James, you're going to be a great host. You have your own podcast. Everyone, go and subscribe. James has a few channels out there. But uh, what's your, your what's your favorite one? You have so many. So, like, so CISO Talk is the flagship. Um, mm-hmm. CyberHub Podcast is the one I do daily. So people can go check it out. Zoe says hi. Hi, Zoe. She's joining us from YouTube. Hey, Zoe. And we've got a good show today, right? So we've got a we've got a really cool episode, Naomi, because uh, we've we've got Alan um, coming on. He wrote the article on the Hill, the article that I think uh, generated a lot of uh, oh my, a, a lot, yeah. Actually, and, if you haven't read uh, it yet, you should put the link there. Yeah. <laughs> So James McQuiggan says hello, and then he says James has more channels than some people have incident response plans. <laughs> I've I've got three podcasts. I mean, I, I don't know why you know, and and then five different shows. It's not hard. I think I've listened to most of them. I mean, I was on the one, but uh, I do listen to your daily you've, podcasts. You've, you've been on CISO Talk a bunch of times. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks for sharing the mic. Here's the link Nora's, in our private chat. No, I can't add to the comments yeah. anyway. Um, Nora is with us. And so she says, hi, James, Naomi, Renee, and Chris. Thank you for your time. Happy to be here. Um, Starfear says, good afternoon. And I will post this here. So people on LinkedIn can't see this, but the people on YouTube can. Mm. Because the way StreamYard works is it only lets you post on um, YouTube comments the integration doesn't work with linkedin we got to talk to jeff about that one Um, yeah let me just call him up yeah just give him a ring will you naomi (laughs) um we got another naomi on the show we've got a naomi hill who says she's ready to learn um James talks. It's uh, it's also James McQuiggan, the other James. Uh, also, uh, it's always great to hear from Naomi, an industry leader for sure. Indeed, that is the case. So, if you guys have not read this article on the Hill, it's an opinion piece, and it talks about how our cybersecurity industry best practices keep allowing breaches. Breaches. And Naomi, you want to give them a quick synopsis, kind of, because you you brought this to my attention. Um, I, I actually, you know, didn't even know this thing the, of its existence merely several hours ago. Yeah, written a couple of days ago by a professor from Southern Methodist University named Alan Gwynn. He's going to be on our show in a couple of minutes here. So thank you for your patience, everyone. We're trying to see what the time is to start, but this is a, a good time to introduce him. But he wrote an opinion piece in The Hill, which is normally a political, uh, you know, journalism, I guess. But he wrote an opinion uh-huh. article about cybersecurity. And in the in the opinion piece, he had some ideas about how we as cybersecurity professionals can be better at stopping breaches, right? In general, that's his gist. So his ideas were very kind of 
unconventional, shall we say. So some ideas of his included, um, you know, don't hire anyone whose company has experienced a security incident or has a breach or has had a breach. Um, other things like our best practices are failing us and therefore we should either revert to old best practices because clearly we had fewer breaches before we had these newer best practices and therefore we should revert to the old ones. Things like that, that were uh, very different and unconventional. I thought the idea of having an opinion piece like that generated a lot of comments, unfortunately, from what I saw in social media was the fact that people just did some personal attacks or those ad hominem attacks that they invalidated his opinions. They just attacked him. They went straight for his credentials and said things like, well, since you, you must never be a cybersecurity professional, you've never worked as a cybersecurity professional because you are saying things like this. So clearly there's a disconnect here because his lived experience has given him these insights and these thoughts. And I thought bringing him on just to talk about them was, uh, you know, the court of public opinion. Like we should give him a chance to explain and hopefully he joins us soon. Now I'm just trying to ramble, ramble, fill up time. <laughs> well, so I, I read the piece. Um, I also went through some of several of the posts that you had sent me to kind of see people's comments and what people were saying. And I want to lay out some ground rules before Alan comes on and we bring them up. Okay. Um, which is really important for me. We're mature adults. You're grown men and women or however you want to identify behave and comment the way you would want people to address you. If you're derogatory in any way, sort, I, I don't put up with that stuff. I have zero patience for derogatory comments or anything personal attacks on any guest that comes on my shows or anyone else's show. Um, we are bound to disagree. And it's okay to disagree. I know that we live in a time where if you disagree with someone, it's a name calling. It's not. It's the nature of humanity. We are bound to disagree. Uh, try to have an open mind in hearing what other people have to say and try to look at it from a different perspective. Because the first time I read the article, I may have had similar reaction to many people. Then I read it again. And then I wrote down a bunch of notes, right? Because I wanted to want to come prepared. And number two, I wanted to come at it from a different perspective. I don't want to come in bias. I don't want to come in with... Uh, um, I don't know Alan. I've never met Alan. So when Alan joins us here in just a minute, it'll be my first time interacting with him. Same. So I don't know him. So I'm not going to come and judge the, the man uh, mm -hmm. based on one article because I don't know his achievements. I don't know his career. I know he comes from SMU and I have a great friend at SMU, George Feeney, who's one of, you know, he's got a great book out. And if you guys don't know who George is, he's doing an unbelievable work as a, he's the CISO for SMU um, in Dallas. And so it's, it, I, I just want to lay the golden rule, which is please be respectful of one another, even in the comment section. Please don't troll one another. You guys are better than that. We are better than that as a community. All right. We need to learn to respect other opinions and just let the conversation really develop and, and be mindful that we're humans at the end of the day. And we all have feelings and we all have opinions and it's okay for one to have his opinion, even if it's wrong, even if you disagree with it, even if, if you're in your opinion it's 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 not the right thing it's still people are entitled we live in a free country where people are entitled to think or feel or or say what they want just be within this confines please be respectful and i think the one unspoken rule is remember if you're looking to break into cyber 
people are going to be looking at your comments and it could really hinder your growth. So just be mindful of what you're writing, be educated, be fact-based and, and, and help, help drive a conversation and a, and a good debate. Yeah. Be professional. That's kind of the rule there. Right. I like to come at it. Like I actually have had this whole, like, uh, lashback from the community from things uh-huh. that I've written. And like, clearly I have opinions. I'm not trying to state facts or anything. And I'm in the camp of there are no invalid opinions. Um, opinions are not facts. So yes, there mm-hmm. can be invalid facts, but what I give out every day on LinkedIn are my opinions. And I honestly don't care if other people disagree. That is the entire point. I just want to uh, get my voice out there and put down my, my thoughts. Um, sometimes I use James, this is what I use LinkedIn for. Sometimes I use it as like a diary just to process things that have happened to me in the past. And once I write it down, I feel a lot better. It's kind of like therapy, like a really, really cheap way of getting therapy. Um, and sometimes I get comments or like, oh, you, you know, you're lying or uh, who do you think you are and kind of stuff like that. And of course, I've gotten the haters. So when I saw the response back to Alan, I just empathized with him. I was like, oh my God, this guy is going through that exact same thing. And I just really felt just a sadness because I'm like, well, I guess it wasn't just me, right? Like, I think I, I could have like justified him like, okay, and maybe I said something and stepped on some toes and I get it, like the lashback, I get it. But then I saw someone with uh, his own opinions, again, no invalid opinions, no such thing, his own opinions, and then people attacking his credentials, like, oh, you are just a, a, a professor, or you just do this, and you've never worked in a corporate environment or whatever. And I just hated that. I thought that was the worst thing ever. And I just, I felt so icky. I was like, how are we going to grow as a profession? We'll never get there. Um, it just made me feel a little sad. So, Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I know I've seen a lot of the stuff that you've written over, over the months and years that, you know, I, a lot of people call them trigger posts. I call them um, discussion points where people can discuss different things and really engage and have a diversity of thought, which is critical to anyone's personal growth. I want to get to some comments while we wait for Alan to show up. I know Alan's running a little bit late. So um, this is, I believe, Nick. And he says, um, good morning, James and Naomi. This is going to be a great show today. Um, Hello, all. Looking forward to new perspective and insights. I am uh, trying to figure out who the LinkedIn users are. I'm refreshing my, uh, my feed here on the other side so I know who you guys are. Um, Jason, uh, great house. I love your last name, man. Great house. Like that's a power name right there. Can't wait for this one. Um, Rosie says, I'm looking forward, uh, to the, to the show. Thank you, Rosie. The golden rule by LinkedIn user. Um, Anna Maria says, curious to see the perspective that will be shared in this podcast. Thank you there. Jason Greathouse also says, although I don't agree with many items from the article, I love that it's causing us to talk about it and rethink maybe some things. I agree. And final one here from Nora before I want to kind of, we're going to get into the article and we'll wait for Alan to join in here. Uh, There you go. We can agree to disagree. Everyone's entitled to their opinions, but we need to respect each other no matter what. This is part of diversity and inclusion. That is also very, very Mm -hmm. true, Nora. Hit it Mm -hmm. on the head. So here's something interesting. Industry best practices. What is industry? What's the term industry best practices mean to you, Naomi? Oh, gosh. Oh, hmm. Well, when I think best practice, I always think back to my guide that I got back in like 2011. It's the standard of information security good practice, the standard of good practice in information security. I have a book right there. 
It's right sitting on my shelf. It's published in 2011 by uh, the Open the International Security Forum or Information Security Forum (ISF). So um, when I think of security good practice, that's what I think of. So a very basic framework of like general security principles, right? Not too prescriptive in any one technology, but things like principle of least privilege, right? Like those are the things that are good, they're good. So when Alan was writing his article or his opinion piece about, hey, let's allow all our sysadmins to have admin, domain admin to everything. Like let's give them admin level access to all the things. Uh, and that directly goes against the security of least privilege. So it's like things like that where the principle of least privilege, I can't talk today. Uh, you know what I mean, James. So that's what I'm like, those those very basic security principles that can be applied to a myriad of industries across different technologies and environments. Those are always going to be true. So to me, best practices are those basic security principles. How about you? So I agree with that. I, I saw the different discussions where people were like, well, NIST is a really thought off of frameworks. And people started looking at industry best practices from a framework perspective. People looked at it from a controls perspective. And I realized one of the things that I constantly talk about on my other shows, right, is the idea that we don't have a common vocabulary in security. That's a good point. And so you read this piece, and when I read it the first time, I was outraged like some people because I'm like, wait a minute, who is this guy? And then I remembered, wait a minute, I'm going to start teaching in a few months at the University of North Georgia. So Am I going to have the same disconnect or am I going to, I'm going to have a different point of view when I'm teaching a class than I would as a practitioner. So I'm looking at this and I go, well, what's industry best practices? Because he brings up a few things in the article right around certs, um, around degrees, around audits. And I could agree with all of those because when you read it and you take away the bias and the context and you just read it and then you try to identify the meaning from the author – Almost like when I read the Torah, right? I'm trying to identify what the meaning of something in the Torah is. So I was trying to kind of apply that same principle here. What is the meaning of all those different things? And so to me, that was, to me, it's, it's we don't have a vocabulary. Because if I asked everyone in the audience right now, what's your definition of industry best practice? We're going to get five different answers. Mm -hmm. And that's a and problem. That's problem. That is a problem. It really <laughs> is. And then we don't have like a standard language and therefore we don't know, we don't have a standard foundation. If you think about that, mm -hmm. like our foundation is just built on different truths. Um, right. And so if we simplify it, that's why I'm thinking like best practice, really, you've got your basic security principles. Those never change. Uh, at least hopefully <laughs> like, but we should question them. I think a lot of this comes down to like, what is the right thing to do? And so having these conversations is really helpful. What is not helpful uh, is when people attack people for having thoughts, diversity of thought, plus letting them have their voice without like diminishing it and just invalidating their opinions. That's also critical too. So allow people to share their opinions without attacking who they are as a person. Yeah, like understand the difference between a professional persona of someone and a personal persona of someone. Um, David brings up a really good piece here, and, and I want to bring this comment up because I, I think I'm, I, I slightly agree with David just based on the first sentence here. He advocates for firing or removing any team that hasn't successfully handled a security breach. Would you have a team at that point? Does that allow for learning or research or improving the industry? And, and that's one point where I disagreed with. It was like, I remember 
uh, a few years ago, we were we had an electronic crime task force meeting here in Atlanta with a bunch of CISOs, about 100 of us in the room. And I was sitting in a round table with about 10, 15 of my peers, uh, many of them much older than I am, some of them old enough to be my par- my dad, right, and uncles. And they, they talked, they, they brought up something that to me, I, I was the only person on the table that really argued against the point that they were saying, but they wanted to promote the idea that if you fail three cyber awareness trainings, you should be fired. So like you failed the first one, you do a training, you fail the second one, you get written up, you fail the third one, you're gone. And I was like, how's that going to help us as an industry promote awareness? What, what's it going to do? It's going to slow down business because no one's going to click or open an email anymore. Right? Like, how is that? that Like, I don't believe in firing, period. Um, you know, I've, I've been a long advocate, and Naomi, you know this. When, when CISOs get fired for a breach, I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, how, how is that even, you know, any any sort of how's there any sort of like yeah it doesn't help like that's actually one question that i ask every time i interview for a job for a security leadership job my one question is i actually have two questions my one question is have you ever experienced a breach and tell me about that because i almost never want to join a company that has never experienced a security incident or a breach i always like to come in knowing that the company is like oh we're not immune to security breaches right the second question i always ask is like who takes the blame for a security breach when it happens it's not even if it's like when security fails because there can never be perfect security because it's always a balance right between business and security it's always a balance you can never have perfect security um who takes the blame for that is it the CEO? Is it a board member? Is it the CISO? Like, who is it? Right. And so I always like to get the answer. It's the best answer is like, oh, it's a shared blame. We work together to fix it. We're all on the same team. But I have heard answers, James, for like, oh, you would be the one who would be fired. Right. Like, I literally have had people answer that. And I was like, well, thanks for your time today. Uh, I'll just see you later. You know, I'll be, I'll be in touch. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's that. So let, let's give our audience a little bit of insight because you and I have interviewed for CISO roles. Mm-hmm. We're, we're CISOs. And so we've sat in that chair. I've asked that question before. And when someone, you know, says to me, you're probably going to be the person who would be held responsible in the event of a breach because, you know, technically it falls under your jurisdiction. So I typically follow up with a few questions. One, um, who am I directly reporting to and what's my budget role? Like what's my role within the business? Am I, you know, sitting at the big boys table um, or, or am I being relegated to, to, you know, to, you know, the little kids table? That's, that's one aspect of it. The second thing I say, okay, great. What's, how much are you guys paying? Good. What's my severance package when you do decide to fire me when an event takes place? Because I want a Ryan Glover kind of deal, Right. Like, I want to be able to sit at home for a year and still be paid for it. The CEO of Equifax walked away after the breach with $90 million. What? I didn't know that. Yep. That's crazy. Well, I know the CISO, she got fired. Um, but everyone else got their jobs, right? And now the CEO got an exit package? Come on, that's just wrong. Mm. Mm. And here's the thing. When, when Equifax happens... Everyone just jumped on the CISO and she, they were like, oh, she has a musical education background. She was never qualified in the first place. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, who are you, person with the liberal arts degree? You're like, <laughs> right? Like, you, <laughs> you are, you're calling the kettle black. Come on. That, that's just wrong. So 
we there is no perfect background to getting into security. There's no right path. I think the reason why we right. have these problems is because we think there's only one right way, which is you have to have a technical background. You need to have X number of certifications. You need to have a CS degree and whatever. That is hurting us because we don't have the differences in thought. We don't have the diversity of thought for us to find these issues and to discover them together. I think a, a, the biggest problem um, within security are the professionals themselves. I will just say that. We are holding each other back from winning the fight against cybercrime. Yeah, yeah, we are. I want to get to some comments, and, and I'm not sure if Alan's going to be able to join us or not, so we'll... We'll figure that out here. We'll get to some comments and then Naomi and I will try to put on our best hats to, to address some of this stuff because I completely agree. I've been David Brent says, I've been following this for a few days now, seeing his engagement with the community. It should be interesting. Um, Jeff asked if we have questions, where should we post them? You can post them here. That's fine. Um, everything needs to be questioned. Otherwise, we stagnate. Thank you, LinkedIn user. <laughs> yeah. I love I love the LinkedIn users. Uh, good point, James, about reading in context. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, thank you, David. Let's see. I think most of the time the basic idea is always there, but each company defines them differently. That's from mm -hmm. Michael Miller. Gary says, I think the greater issue was with the exclusion of security professionals have been at the company that has had a security incident. Who amongst us hasn't learned more from adversity rather than success? Uh, there you go. Look, I mean, I, I like hiring people on my team that have mm -hmm. been through breaches. I, I like when I'm when I'm having a cup of coffee with someone who I'm interviewing, let's say for a mid-level, mid-tier role in our incident response team or um, within our engineering team or architecture team. And I go like, have, how many breaches have you been a part of? Tell me three things you took away from the breaches mm -hmm. that you've been a part of. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about your work-life balance and how long were you out of balance because of the incident you went through? What was some of the things that you did in order to keep your sanity in a situation where there's a lot of insanity flying around and it's a very stressful situation? It helps me understand the candidate better, but it also helps us kind of look at the person from a human perspective because we've got to humanize this, this process. Um, and, and to me, that that's one of the things we, we don't always succeed at. Let's see. Um, you now have to restart with someone who knows nothing about the company. Very counterproductive to me. Alex Stan, he's the CSO over at Paya. Um, he said that um, on my show a while ago on CISO Talk, he said that firing your CISO during a breach is like firing your general in the middle of a war. He knows where everything is. Yeah. I mean, in some cases, it might be justified, like if the CISO should have known about something and just actively pushed it under the rug. I think we had a couple incidents like that. Those are the type of uh, scenarios that maybe that person should be fired because they just didn't do their job right. You know, but the fact that there was a breach doesn't automatically mean the CISO was bad at their job. So I would say I would question the. I would have a follow up question as well. As well. James, I'm like, if I do get fired, if there was a breach, what would be the scenario around that? You know, like, tell me what would happen to bring me to that point. So I've had answers like, oh, there's a, a vulnerability that you should have known about. You should have discovered that early on. It's a critical vulnerability. You should have asked the right questions all along, etc. It's like, okay. But what if it's like someone got fished, they had admin on their computer, they also had things on their computer that could give access to the rest of the network, etc. Is that my fault? No, 
because that uh, that person should have known better. They had credentials to the network for legitimate reasons. There's so many different scenarios here, James. A ton of interesting scenarios here. I want to get to more and more comments because they're flying in. And have we heard from Alan, Naomi? Yeah, so he's unfortunately unable to make it. I'm so sorry for our listeners who were so excited to have him come on, but he uh, brings his apologies. He had a family emergency. But that he does want to come on. Yes, he does want to come on. He just had an emergency. We will reach out to Alan. We'll either try to get him here on something special tomorrow if he's available and Naomi's available. We'll try to put something out to get him on. If we can do this tomorrow, we will. If not, we'll do it early next week. We would definitely want to have a constructive conversation with mm-hmm. with Alan and, and bring that to you. But we'll get to your comments. We'll have our conversation around this article with you guys because you guys are absolutely awesome. And then we'll take it from there. So um, I believe I have already yeah, that said one's this already... one. But let's talk about mistakes so... in general. Like I feel personally, if you haven't made mistakes, you really don't know – you haven't really grown too much in your profession. So let's talk about doctors really quick. I know I hate making that analogy, but like if you go and you get a surgeon and and they've probably made mistakes, right? They probably know now what not to do. Um, that's why you want to get someone kind of like towards the middle of their career, not just a brand new person right out of medical school. Someone who's got maybe 10, 12 years, right? I'm still feeling like they, they know enough. They remember enough from school. Plus they have enough experience. That's because they've practiced enough security to see the good and the bad. It's the same thing with security. They've practiced. We've practiced enough to be like, all right, yeah, we know what not to do now. We made these mistakes and we grew from that. It's the same way. I think Alan could probably understand this now. He wrote this controversial op-ed and now he knows not to do that again, right? Or he knows not to say it in that particular tone. There's better ways of bringing ideas to the community without alienating 80% of us, 90% of us. So, you know, I don't I, I didn't mind his article. Right. I think there's some stuff in there that. When someone read this, who's not in security, who's in the executive level. Who took that as being something that's coming from an educator. So, you know, academic, it's got to be, you know, researched and well, fact based. And even it's a, even if it's an opinion piece. I mean, half of the, I think the New York Times recently said that they inject opinion in every news story they put out, irregardless to that. Um, that's, that was actually in a court filing for a lawsuit against the New York Times, where their lawyers actually wrote in that, yeah, we report the news, but we also insert our opinions into legitimate news articles. So, so, so somewhat, my concern isn't with the industry of how we deal with it, because we have our internal debate. My concern with some of the context of the article was board members who read the Hill read this, congressmen and senators and their staffers read the Hill, so they read this, and now they're looking at this, and now they've gotten this idea that um, maybe we should industrialize the certification and make it so that you've got to have a specific cert or degree, meaning they're increasing the bar for leadership, meaning they're eliminating a whole group of people from ever being able to work their way up to that role within a significant time frame, or vice versa. Now someone is looking at this and going, every time there's a breach, we should fire everyone. 
That's super extreme. I can't imagine anyone doing that. But let's say that we do. Don't we always complain as an industry, like the government needs to step in and do more about the hiring skills gap or whatever? We're constantly saying that. And now we have a chance. We literally have a chance to now get on someone's radar. We are now on the congressman's radar um, and people are reading the Hill. So they're seeing this article. Why not take advantage of this conversation now while it's still on, on people's minds and say, hey, Colonial Pipeline, that really affected the entire East Coast for gas. Can we now have a minute of your time, Congressperson. Like, can we please talk about this? And then bring ideas that we've always talked about anyway. We just talked about it in our little echo chamber. We never went out. We never went like, have you ever called your Congressperson about your cybersecurity problems? I doubt it. I see like you, James, I know you have. I have too. I've called up my my representative and I said, we have issues with cybersecurity and we need to close the skills gap and here's how we can do it better. And I've just left voicemails, right? That's pretty much all you have to do. Just start calling. But I can guarantee you, not a lot of us have done that. And now that we have the chance, do you think any of us are doing anything other than listening to podcasts and talking about this and complaining and BSing with ourselves again, right? Like, let's take the opportunity. Let's go. Like, First of all, all thank right. you for listening to our podcast, everyone. I appreciate that. But literally, your next step should be talking to somebody else who is not in our echo chamber. That is what we need to do. So I, I am a firm believer, and I would like to speak outside of the echo chamber. You, you know that I do very few cyber events in terms of speaking. I do more outside of industry speaking engagements because I feel like those are more productive for us as an industry. I agree with that statement 100%. I want to get to some comments because... I don't want people to think like we're ignoring them. So here we go. If a company fires at CISA for a security breach, doesn't it make it doesn't it make the company more vulnerable to attacks? Um, when you take away leadership, I think you take away coordinated response order and you sow chaos. You don't make yourself more vulnerable to attack. You make the recovery time much greater. Yeah, impact is greater. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so in a, in a security incident, the, the entire thing is just to have less impact to your business. So remediation time is critical. And your CISO has to be there to kind of pull the ropes and be like, all right, you do this, you do that, you do this, and follow the incident response plan. You still have the individual contributors doing incident response, but your CISO is now leading that incident response. They should be part of that incident response team. <clears throat> Very true. So, um, a Aji says, if a pro baseball player bats three hundred over their career, they're likely to make it to the Hall of Fame. They miss seventy percent of the time. If you miss once as a security professional, you get fired. Hmm. Unfortunately, in I would say seventy percent of the cases, that's true. <sighs> that just kills me. I don't know anyone who's been fired for making a mistake on the job as a security professional. If they're a malicious insider, then yeah, probably. Um, but like someone who maybe misconfigured a firewall rule, then it just feels a little much. It feels a little much, James. Although that could just be my it, opinion. No, your your opinion is very legitimate. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I don't, I've never had someone fired for a misconfigured firewall. I've seen people let go because a breach for, and, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, is not one single thing that goes wrong. It's kind of like a plane crash. It's a series of events that leads for a perfectly perfect storm. suitable, mm -hmm. the you know, yeah. transportation mode to fall out of the sky, right? Like there's a lot of different things that happen to make a plane crash. It's not one single thing, right? 
So same thing with cybersecurity breaches. It's, it's mm. the same. I want to get to more comments here. Yeah. Um, I think the larger issue and what he's trying to bring to the table is when he talks about what does the industry do but blame other blame users, the attack vectors move so quickly that cybersecurity can, can hardly be anything but responsive and as mitigation-focused as possible, whereas the op-ed op author seems to think that the old practices and what he advocates for is proactive. And we're not doing enough to get in front of the in front of for prevention. What does that look like currently? Yeah, David's very uh, what he says is very true. Like we as an industry tend to blame the users. Oh, those ID ten Ts, right? Those idiot users. We would do so much better if we didn't have those idiot users. And then what? Alan was saying, I was like, wait, hold on. Why are we blaming the users when a lot of the problem are the lack of technical expertise within our own industry? And yes, there are plenty of problems in our industry, but pointing blame at any one group doesn't help solve the problem. Like that's never going to get people to change their behaviors. You need to give carrots and not sticks. Like if I was to say, James, the reason why you are in poverty or, or poor is all your fault. Like you just didn't try hard enough. Right. And like there's a certain point where you're like, OK, I can take I can take control of my life to a certain extent. But there's outside factors you don't know about. And that's the same thing with anything that we're saying here. It's like, if we are going to blame anyone, we should at least start with ourselves. And that's where I do kind of agree with Alan. Like maybe we aren't great at emotional intelligence. Maybe we're not great at building relationships. And maybe our users just hate us just enough that they will ignore security practices on purpose or at least pretend they don't exist because they just don't like you, security professional. You're a little bit mean. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a very, very good point, Naomi. So, um, you know, there's a comment here that says, excellent point, Naomi, I mean, it's for something earlier, but we'll give it to you right now for this one. Hey, thanks. Um, <laughs> um, this is from Mark. He says that uh, CISOs are constantly being fired when there's a breach, never mind that they may have inadequate staff, tiny budgets, and no influence on cybersecurity policy. So I disagree with the final part. We have a lot of influence on cybersecurity policy as CISOs. We also have influence on budget meaning if we know how to address it and build and request a budget that really does enhance the business. I think that's that's the lack of maturity from a CISO. So when you hire a CISO and you give them, when someone takes a CISO role and they get a tiny budget and they get no influence and they get fired for something that happens on the back end, that's that person's fault. It's that person's fault for one, taking the job that he's set up, he's doomed to fail, and number two, for not clarifying to the company that no one's going to like, you're not going to hire someone with the skills you want to take a job that does all of these things. I mean, yeah. or, I or they didn't do a good job asking for more money or they didn't convince the business that security is more important. Right. But here's another thing. I think maybe security vendors should be lowering their prices, James. I think security vendors overprice their things and sometimes their products suck. I'm going to say, I think the latest statistic, <laughs> we have no sponsors. It's okay. <laughs> I think the latest statistic is like out of all the security products out there, whatever is bought, only 10% of the functionality is ever used. Like the rest of it is never used. And I can attest to that. I've bought plenty of security products and I can tell you, I probably use like 20% of the functionality that I've ever purchased. A lot of it goes untouched because yeah, I don't have the headcount. I don't have the time to put into building it right and making automation and all that good stuff. But I think security vendors need to calm it down just a little bit. $100,000 so, for a SIM for a 200-person company? Come on. So so I disagree with you there. I think, okay. and I'll tell you why. Um, 
I think a security vendor should charge what they want to charge for the product they create. They know what their margins are. They know what their cost of operations are. You and I don't. We may look at something and say it doesn't have the same value that they're asking for it, but maybe because the product doesn't fit us specifically in that time period. Now, you know, I'm not the one to go hug vendors. I'm always very critical of predatory behavior um, by vendors. I've seen it. when, when people do that, they hit my, you know, my blacklist for a very long period of time. I don't engage with those salespeople. I don't engage with the company for allowing someone like that to represent it. But at the same time, um, the, the challenge with the challenge with buying technology sometimes is not defining the implementation part of it as part of the sales process. And when you're dealing with a vendor, you're right with the 20% usage. When I'm dealing with a partner and I look for security partners, I don't look for security vendors. We're able to not only define what I want to buy, but we want to define how it's going to operate across our enterprise. And I think that's a part of the sales process that's really missing with a lot of vendors is they come and they sit with you, Naomi, and they tell you all these great features and you define a basic POC you plug it into your environment. And then at the end of the day, the product only does X amount of dollars. And that's why we think that products suck. I, a little while ago, took that back and I said, all right, how do we define the second step of buying something? And we're not going to buy anything until we have all of those steps built in. So how's it going to sit? Who's going to do the work? And that allowed me, by the way, to negotiate with the vendors. So that's allowed me to go to my security partner and say, listen, I want to use you, but what you're asking for, and then the cost, the cost of putting in your product and the cost of ownership and maintenance is going to be much higher than what I had budgeted for. So I'm going to have to go a different route if we don't get creative here with how we price this, because I still got to invest $280,000 to get this product to go uh, to, to, to perform in my environment. So we'll do that. Let's get back to the article and let's get back to comments. Looking at potential is invaluable when hiring for cyber. Uh, Mark says the measure of a CISO is not that breaches are avoided or prevented. Rather, that management has full understanding of the risk they are undertaking before said incident. I can, I can dig that, you know, totally. Uh, Nora says that is okay. We have LinkedIn user here that says at least he does want to come on and talk. He does want yes, to come he on, does. yeah. He, he does. does. We'll, we'll, we'll reschedule. Um, um, yes. Heather talks about, was it the Project Veritas lawsuit over the New York Times? Yes, it was. James O'Keefe is taking these media companies to the bank every single day. <laughs> that guy's unbelievable. If you guys have not seen what Project Veritas is doing, these guys are unbelievable. Uh, they're, they're really, really good. Um I think uh, Michael says, I think he needs a different perspective brought to him just as he brought to us. I don't agree with him, but maybe there's, maybe that's been his only experience train of thought. That's the thing. Like, why should we invalidate his opinion? Because that's all he knows. Like maybe his opinion is valid. Maybe he has a point. Maybe he should. Okay. So for just argument's sake, maybe I'm going to be Alan for a second. James, I think we should fire you because you are a company experienced to breach and you're the head of your company. You're CISO, right? And what would mm-hmm. you say to that? Like, what is your immediate thought? You're like, that wasn't my fault. I can blame all these other things that happened, you know, like, but whose responsibility so, is it? 
So, so uh, first of all, if when we go through an incident, I take full accountability for it. The, I'm the leader, right? Okay. I mean, how about if you were an individual contributor? What if you were just on the SOC team or you're just a pen tester? Like what, what would you say to that person? Like you are now fired. We are now firing everyone on the security team. Everyone in that department, gone. You know, there's, there's very little you can do when someone comes to fire you, right? And when what that, that feeling does, it, it, it does destroy you because I've seen people get argumentative when they're let go over stuff. And a lot of times some of it is justified. And sometimes, and I hate to say it, and you guys are going to like not like this at all. There's a scapegoat for every mistake and there's got to be a scapegoat. And sometimes it's that poor analyst that's you know six months into the job that made a mistake that caused some damage and someone's got to pay the price and that person ends up being it the good news is no one knows who that person is he'll go on and get another analyst job and strive the bad news is it's gonna you know be a smack in the face but you learn like a lot of people have said here you learn more from failure than you do from success so we'll get to heather here saying that naomi i think you're one of my new favorite people thanks heather (laughs) We need one of you to write a counter argument. I was for thinking hell. somebody did write a blog post, a direct reaction to that. So I think you can search for, you know, reaction to the Hill article or something. There's a couple of blog posts out there. And again, it was mostly ad hominem, uh, hominem attacks. Uh, but some of them had some good points, you know, very good rebuttals. I think in general, the, uh, the consensus was that, yeah, Alan is far off here on his opinion. Um, but there's some things that we should talk about, like, why are information security professionals, why is our quality so all over the place? We have great information security professionals. James, I like to consider you one of them. But what, like I've, I've definitely had those run-ins with people. I'm like, how are you an information security person? Like in my head, right? I, I don't just go up to them and be like, you suck, right? Like I don't do that. But in my head, I'm like, how did, how did you get a job? And I speak with so many talented, hungry, high potential people who are dying to break into cybersecurity. And now I'm meeting somebody who, who doesn't even know like the OSI model and can't explain packet encapsulation. Like I just, I don't get it. Like I just don't understand. And so how someone like that could get a job versus someone who's super hungry and can learn on their own and does lots of self-training and certifications and stuff, they can't get in, but this guy can. Like, what the hell? And so I get really frustrated with that. So I think that's part of the challenge in any industry and in any job is is who gets in and, and, and who doesn't. And if you've ever been on a job search and if you've ever applied for a job, that is the most frustrating, um, self-examining, building breaking down yourself within yourself constantly because every time you get an email that says we've reviewed you and we're moving in a different direction without even talking to you like you kind of take that in and you go oh that's like you didn't even give me a chance like you looked at a piece of paper and how am I supposed to articulate who I am on a piece of paper yeah, our hiring process is way broken. I won't even get into that. But yeah, I'm we're still, not going to get into that. We're going to stick to the article. I mean, I'll just so, say I am. Like, Alan has a good point. Our quality is all over the place. We are, some of us need to level up. Like, I will just say, like, we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and just be like, did I get better today at my job? Did I improve the security posture of my company? Or did I just sit there and collect a paycheck? Right? So like, let's just Patrick, have those conversations. So, Patrick Benoit had an argument with me once where um, on the show where we were talking, should cybersecurity people 
be licensed. So should CISOs be licensed like pilots? So a pilot's got to go through a license and should CISOs have to go through a similar certification? So something beyond, you know, a CISP or a CISM or a bachelor's or, or so forth. And it's a very interesting debate that I think has zero merit in today's business environment, right? Um, they, they it, it's not the same thing. It's You can't license people. John De La Cruz says Naomi's on fire. Love it. I believe this is Mark. For years before the Colonial Pipeline debacle, the company vehemently opposed federal oversight, saying it was none of the government's business. Um, I know that there's going to be people here that are going to hate what I'm about to say. I want zero government oversight on business. I want accountability. I don't want government oversight because I don't think the government knows everything. Oh, no, they don't. Yeah, we're the government. We're here to help. Like, those are the scariest yeah, words. Those scariest words yeah. in English, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm I'm very centrist, I will say, like, in my politics. But I will say I vote Republican for a lot of local offices. But for, like, national, I do vote Democrat. So that there you go. I put that out there. But I don't like the fact that the government tries to infuse themselves into all the things. Because you're right. They're not great. And everything and they can't tell us well, how to do certain things like information security but yeah accountability i agree with you there james so so here's the thing with colonial pipeline um they're down the street from my house they're literally 10 their offices are 10 15 minutes from where i live and i know some people who work there so i'm gonna use discretion and and i'm aware of a lot of different information that, that people are not privy to um government oversight on these businesses would have those costs to maintain the oversight would be passed on to the consumers. And I want you guys to always think about it because everyone's always quick to say, the government should solve this problem. No, 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 we don't want government to solve any problems. See, if government took none of our tax money, if we didn't pay, if we paid $0 in taxes or we paid a very minimal tax, let's say we paid a 10% tax rate overall and every person paid 10% tax no matter their income, right? So a millionaire is obviously going to pay more than someone who may earns 60000 a year, right? A millionaire is going to pay 100000 That's his tax burden. Someone who earns 60000 a year is going to pay 6000 That's his tax burden. It's a flat tax rate, no loopholes, no cuts, no if, ands, or buts about it. And now those that 10% went to the federal government that administered it to the local states to run things. You'd have a much better situation overall, right? Because government doesn't really move fast. Like, I think people need to understand that, like, government does not move fast. All these, you know, people made a big deal out of uh, President Biden's executive order that he came out. And I'm like, did everyone read it? A lot of people wrote op-eds on it, right? And I'm like, it's nothing. It's it's just a bunch of buzzwords. He put zero trust in there. I'm like, Okay, great. Someone from Palo Alto got to the president. Wonderful. <laughs> Who got to the White House? Right? Oh Lord. Like, like to me, that's 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 one of the things is we we don't need government oversight. Colonials had to pay for almost five million dollars in ransom, plus all the cost for recovery and back. Well, they decided plus, to pay. They didn't have to pay. That's a well, difference. but but here's the deal. If you look at it from a business perspective and we as cyber people, we can look at this and go colonial was really bad, but here's, here's it here. It comes from a business perspective. And as mm -hmm. someone who started a few businesses, if I take Naomi's car keys and I say, Naomi, I've got your car keys. You're not going to get them back unless you pay me a dollar. Or you can call a locksmith 
wait, have a locksmith come, open your car, cut you a new key so you can drive. That's going to cost you $500. What are you going to do, Naomi? Hmm. I would have a friend drive me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, if that was only my only choice, I only had those two yeah. choices. I had no other options to get to wherever I need to go. I mean, the $1 makes more sense because my time and my money mean something to me. Right. That's but, that, but that's the colonial pipeline. Yeah, that's the $5 million for colonial. It's a dollar. Thing. When I give money to the locksmith or to the colonial pipeline, the ransomware, right? If I'm giving money back to the ransomware and the criminals, what are they doing with that money, James? They're not spending it on Maui. They're doing other bad things to it. Like we are also the economy. We're helping the economy of criminal activity. Like that's what I hate about this. We're not seeing the uh, that, bigger picture. No, I see the bigger picture. I'm not. Okay. I'm not condoning pay ransom, but I'm saying in their situation, in colonial, everyone is, you know, talking about colonial, colonial, colonial. Okay. We have to look at every breach for what it is. Not all breaches are created equal. Okay, with Equifax, we can say that the Equifax breach had a little, a lot of negligence. Okay, it had negligence. Period. End of discussion. How do you not patch Apache struts? How do you not have a patching management system with a company the size of Equifax? Right, like that. That that's negligence at that point, right? That it is what it is. I've said it to people I know who work there. Okay, I've said like you guys were negligent. You guys were on cruise control. And mm-hmm. you didn't think that you were ever going to crash into something and you crashed. But there's so know? many big companies and I came from one of them who had that same vulnerability because I was on the vulnerability uh-huh. management team. We had the same exact one. And that one was rated a low because you're like, oh, there's no way there's mitigating controls. There's defense in depth, whatever. But in this case, it happened. Apache struts wasn't patched. They blamed one security engineer to not do whatever they needed to do. I forget what it was, but I they mean, blamed that's... Rem Payne for not forwarding the email. Oh my God. I see. It's like that, but like, it's the same vulnerability in so many enterprises. And what are you going to point to them? Be like, you are negligent, but they're like, no, we just prioritize this incorrectly. We didn't understand the risk. So if anything, they did a poor job managing their risk and they didn't know how like credible that risk could have been to that business. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So let's if get anything, yeah, if anything, them. security professionals need to be better at risk management, which literally is what our jobs are. All right. So we've got a bunch of comments here. There's a few really good ones. I want to get to them. So Nora says people see things differently based on their mindset and mentality and maturity. Let's look at the number six. Some people will see it as six uh, or some people will see six as nine base on where they stand in their culture, the direction they stand or beliefs, people standing on the east side of the six will see it as a nine and vice versa. We shouldn't be quick to judge. Um, well yeah. articulated by yeah, Alan. Alan still backs up his assertions that what he thinks is true. So in his mind, his experiences, his opinions are valid for him. And all so right, we is- all have our own valid opinions. So, so the idea was let's tell him what our experiences are so he can get, he can change his opinions just a little bit. That's what we should have done. Instead, we're like, no, you're absolutely wrong. And just because you're a teacher, you know nothing, Alan Gwynn, how dare you? And that's when I'm like, well, you've just shot him down and now he won't yes, ever you did. opinion. Yes, you did. So let's get to uh, this one. We've got two great comments here from Mark. Uh, the users are a neglected cybersecurity resource. They can be trained to be the frontline alert squad if they see something suspicious. The security team can't watch everything. They need the user's assistance. Did you ever hear of if you see something, say something? You hear that all the time in airports and, mm-hmm. and, and in all kinds of places. Yeah, absolutely. But I think we also have to be mindful that our users are more concerned about doing their job than they are about security. Yeah. 
Although and, security and, should be everyone's responsibility. It's kind of like that thing in policing. It's like the public so, are the police or something. I've heard this. So I love I love those. That that to me is 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 and and this is my controversial say for today because I haven't dissed liberal arts degree and wrong at the end of the show. I know you did. You took it you took it away from me today. But um when people tell me policing is everyone's responsibility, or when people tell me security is everyone's responsibility, I go, is finance everyone's responsibility? For the company? I mean, you're not going to be wasting money on behalf of the company. So how many of. times have you how many times were you under a budget and then just randomly spent money on something so that it doesn't impact your budget the next year? Ah, okay. So you're playing that game. Yeah, I've been on teams that have done that. Yeah, for sure. Right? Like mm -hmm. we've we we have a budget surplus and we've got two hundred thousand dollars left and we've got to spend it. So we're gonna spend it somehow. We're finding like you're sending people out like go buy stuff. Go to a stands, stands training. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> go to a stands training. That's like three people right uh, there. Pick an event, right? Like we're all going. <laughs> um go find a bunch of vendors, go whatever. We're we're we're, we're we gotta spend this money because if we don't, our budget's gonna be two hundred thousand dollars lighter next uh next year. Because so they justify it. Money. Yeah. So so if if the CFO walked around and said finance is everyone's job and it's everyone's responsibility. And if we're over budget, it's everyone's responsibility. And if we're under budget, it's everyone's we, we don't do that in finance. So why would we do that in security? See, finance's job is to give you the guidelines, give you the budget and have you go and manage it and make your own decisions because you know how to run your business unit better than anyone else. Security's job is to understand the business and build security controls in place so that the users have sufficient layers of protection. Now, it doesn't dismiss them of responsibility, but at the same time, I don't I don't expect my call center, you know, customer service employee to be like, hey, we're getting hit with a bunch of malware right now. I've seen this, you know, I was reading it on bleeping computer yesterday. Unless he wants to get into security, I'm not going to hear it. He's more concerned with doing his calls, staying under his KPIs, um, going on his breaks, taking his lunches, worried about his family and about his career. That's what he's concerned about. He's not worried about security. Security and their priority ranks number 15. And you're never going to get it up to the top five. And anyone who says that lives in a delusional world. That's I opinion. think it's, I like your idea here. I totally understand. I don't know if we can compare finance with cybersecurity, but although I kind of see what you're saying. So what if my job was to make sure we didn't lose any money? At least I could call out a fact where I'm like, hey, you know what? I think this person's trying to defraud our company, right? I'm in insurance. Hey, I can see a, um, a dentist is trying to defraud our company. I would probably have to say something as like a claims person, right? Even though I'm not in security, I'm in claims. I would say, hey, that's your job. Still, that's, that's my part job. Of your right. Title. But it's, that's still part of finance. Like I'm still trying to save the company money. It's the same thing. Like, hey, I think someone's trying to uh, steal credentials from our systems. Like I would have to say something. That's what I mean by the police are the public right? The public or the police. I've heard this statement before. I'm like, oh yeah. So it's our job to say, see something, say something like otherwise security is going to end up having to do more than what they're even capable of. They can't be everywhere at all times. You need eyes right. and ears within the business. That's what I'm saying. You don't have to do all the security things on behalf of the security team. That's not what I'm saying. It's like at least provide some insight and some of those like, uh, you know, like eyes and ears for the security team or comments. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We love disagreeing uh, on this show, James and I. You know, 
Um, it's not about disagreeing. I respect where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. I look at it from a different perspective. Our backgrounds are very different, you know? Um, and so it's, it's okay. I don't think that you're wrong. Um, and, and I don't, and I don't think that I'm wrong. Right. I think that there's a fair balance there and we just have to find what that fair balance is. Mm -hmm. Um, my, uh, Mark says this one, which I really liked. Uh, Elon Musk's rockets failed all the time. At the beginning, he deliberately made those failures a learning experience of the root causes, and now he's successfully sending people to the International Space Station. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good for Elon. Yep. Jeremy <laughs> says, always looking forward to listening to you all. Thank you, Jeremy. LinkedIn user says, I've seen ads. I think this is also Mark, if I'm not mistaken. I've always seen one ads for coders by dark web hacking groups. None of these ads require a system oh, or an engineering yeah. degree. Somebody messaged me the other day. They're like, you know, I've been approached by APT groups and they've recruited me, but I've had to say no. But he, he even mentioned, he's like, it's tempting to go over to the dark side because of the money that they offer. And this person is American. Like, you don't think it happens all the time, but I'm sure it does. Like, they get approached, you know, how do you think spying works, right? Espionage, yeah. you're, you're getting citizens of that country to spy on behalf of a different country. So it, it does happen. Yeah. So Michael says paying ransom should not be legal. The bank robber with seven hostages hostages doesn't get his helicopter and 10 million in cash. <laughs> um, in a way, I think that this is more of, of government coming in. And if government tells the business um, you can't pay ransom yeah. and the business subsequently um, goes under or belly up, then the employees who work for that company are going to blame the government for having them lose their jobs. And so there's, I think people have to kind of, you have to look at that from a, from a different perspective. We're almost out of time. So I want to get to the final two comments here. Um, oh, I, I wish in go. Canada we had, yeah, I wish we, you got to go. No, no. One more minute. Yep. One more minute. All right, here we go. I wish in Canada we had uh, more backing from the government when it comes to InfoSec. Our economy is made up of SMBs and it's extremely difficult to have security discussion with SMB unless it's a requirement. Um, I can see that, um, Rosie. That's that's an interesting perspective. Not everyone gets to make any financial choices, but every employee gets phishing emails. And I think mm -hmm. that in, the case, in that case, the security of their account is on them to have the due diligence to not click on the link or download. I would say that um, to rebut that and to end on that, on that high note is... Um, everyone's accountable to financial because when you're given company equipment, you're accountant, you're accountable to it. And you actually, in some companies, you sign a piece of paper uh, saying that if you damage, if you throw the company's laptop into a pool, you're not, they're not just going to give you a brand new laptop. You're going to have to pay for it for damaging the equipment. So just kind of keep that in mind. So everyone does have some financial responsibility in an organization. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, you're right there. There, every employee does get a phishing email. And so we, we ought to do that. So, um, but more comments are coming in, but we do have to end today's show, guys. Sorry that Alan didn't come through. We will, um, Naomi and I will reach out to Alan. We'll try to get some time either tomorrow or early next week and we'll post it and let you guys know. So stay tuned. Um, and hopefully we'll have uh, Renee join yes. us. Security peeps. Security All right. Peeps. Thanks for watching. All right, guys. Cheers. Bye. Take care. Bye, James.